pay attention. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me, and uh, I, I can't preach your word on my own. I can't uh, help anyone uh, with what I've got to say, but I know your Holy Spirit could use us. And Lord, I pray you'd use me tonight. It helps someone to learn something tonight, to be encouraged by something tonight. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Acts chapter number 15. Like I said last week, we dealt with the first part of Acts 15. And here we see the latter part of Acts 15. And if you look at verse 36, the Bible says, And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. This last part of this chapter can really be broken up into three different parts, and I'd like you to see them. First we find here Paul and Barnabas' plan. Paul and Barnabas' plan. If you see there, as we read, Paul decides, and he says to Barnabas, hey, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word. If you, under, if you understand the book of Acts you'll, and, and the ministry of Paul, Paul had three major missionary journeys that, that he went on, and some people count his trip as he was on his way to Rome, and we know he died in Rome, and some people count that as, as a journey as well. But uh, here, Paul, if you remember, uh, Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey starting back in Acts 13, and we dealt with that already. And now Paul is initiating the second missionary journey. So he goes to his, his partner in crime there, or his partner in ministry, uh, Barnabas, and he says to him, uh, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city uh, where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. So he's saying, let's go check up on our converts. You know, we went around and and went to all these cities. We got a bunch of people saved. We started a a few churches. Let's go check up on them. Let's see how they're doing. Let's see how things are going. And Barnabas says, all right, you know, that's a good idea. And they set out this plan. They're going to set off for their second missionary journey. But in verse 37, uh, we find Paul and Barnabas' problem. And in verse 37, the Bible says, And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. So we see there, Barnabas wants to take uh, John Mark with them. And in verse 38, the Bible says, But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So Barnabas says, Hey, good idea, Paul. Let's go on that second missionary journey. Let's go see how the brethren are doing. Let's go check up on the converts and see how, how, how they do. And uh, Paul says, Great, let's start planning. And Barnabas says, You know what? I think we should take uh, Mark, uh, or John, whose sur- surname is Mark, we should take John Mark with us. And Paul says, that's not a good idea. I don't think we should take him with, it, with us. And you say, well, what's the problem with John Mark? Well, if you see there, the last part of verse 38, he said, but Paul thought not good to take him with them, and it, who, talking about uh, John Mark, departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. So you say, well, what is that talking about? Well, go with me, go back with me to Acts chapter number 12, Acts chapter number 12, and look at verse number 25, the last verse in Acts 12. And if you remember, Paul and Barnabas went down, uh, were, were down at uh, Jerusalem, and the Bible says in, in verse 25 there, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, 
whose surname was Mark. So this is the first time that, you know, Paul and Barnabas were, were back at, at Jerusalem, and they were, you know, taking care of some stuff there. We know that they brought a gift down to the church in Jerusalem from the church of Antioch, a financial offering there. And then they, when they were get, leaving that area, the Bible says they brought with them John, whose surname was Mark. Did you see that? Verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So as they were coming back from Jerusalem, John Mark came back with them. If you look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 13, now there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul and they ministered to the Lord and fasted and the Holy Ghost said separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them and when they had fasted and prayed they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. So in Acts 13 we find Paul and Barnabas being separated by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost separated unto me, Paul and Barnabas. They fasted, they ordained them, they laid their hands on them, they prayed them, and they sent them off at the beginning of Acts 13 to their first missionary journey. Now it's not mentioned there, but John Mark goes with Paul and Barnabas to this journey. They brought him back from Jerusalem at the end of verse 12, at the end of chapter 12, and at the beginning of verse 13, they're sent off to their first missionary journey, and John Mark goes with them as an assistant. Now you say, well, what's the problem? Well, if you look at verse number 13 of Acts 13, you find there, they're in the middle of their first missionary journey. They're in the midst of, of this, you know, uh, of the ministry there. And in verse 13, the Bible says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And look what it says. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So you see there, they're in the midst of the first missionary journey. They're in the midst of the battle. They're already having issues. They're already having problems. You know, people are fighting against them. And the Bible says that in verse 13, John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now you say, well, why did he go back to Jerusalem? Well, go, go with me to Acts chapter number 12 and look at verse 12. Acts 12, 12, if you remember, we already talked about that. They brought him from Jerusalem. And the reason he went back to Jerusalem, look at John 12, 12. It seems as though John Mark is a young man, obviously. And if you look at John 12, 12, the Bible says, and, and when he had considered the thing, now, I know we're jumping around a lot. We've already preached through these passages, so you may be familiar with them. But now, in John Acts 12, we're looking at the story when Peter was imprisoned. And remember, the angel of the Lord came and, and you know, just got him out of prison and, and, and set him, you know, free there. And in verse 12, uh, Peter has been, you know, brought out of prison. And he's just trying to, you know, trying to figure out if this is a dream, if he's really, you know, this really happened. And in verse 12, the Bible says, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary. Notice, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So I'd like you to see there, the Bible says that in Jerusalem was lived Mary, who was the mother of, of John, whose surname was Mark. So, John's mom was in Jerusalem. That's where John Mark lived. And J John Mark left Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas, went on this missionary journey. Halfway through the journey, decided, I'm going back home. I'm quitting on this missionary thing. I don't want to do this anymore. And he goes back home to Mama's house. He goes back home to his mom. And so, you can see there why, if you go back to Acts 15, and verse number 38, 
The Bible says, But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So Paul's saying, Look, Barnabas, John Mark, he's a quitter, okay? When we needed him the most, when we needed help the most, when we, you know, when things weren't going good, when we were getting persecuted, you know, when things got tough and when the work needed to be done, he departed from us. He went back home to mom's house and I don't want to take him with me. I don't want to go. I don't want him to come and, you know, that's not a good idea. Look at verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them, Paul and Barnabas. The Bible says the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. So uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they argue about this so badly. The Bible says the contention was so uh, sharp between them that they just go their separate ways. Paul says, you know what? Forget it, Barnabas. I don't want to go with you on the missionary journey anymore. And he, and he takes Silas with him, who we know uh, also came from Jerusalem with them back uh, at the beginning of the chapter there. And, and Barnabas decides, fine. And he takes Mark, and he goes on his own missionary journey, and they uh, separate ways there. Now, you know, oftentimes as I was reading the story, I would, I would always think to myself, you know, who, who is right? In, in this story. And, and the, the, the Bible study is not going to be very long tonight. Uh, we're we're going to wrap it up quickly here. It won't take too long. But, you know, I always wonder to myself, who, who's right in this story? And, you know, as I studied and thought about it and heard preaching out of this passage and stuff like that, I, I came to the conclusion that they're both right. Paul and Barnabas were both right. You say, well, what are, what are you talking about? Well, let me give you some proof. Uh, proof as to why Paul uh, did the right thing. Look at verse uh, number 40. The Bible says, And Paul chose Silas and departed. Now, you've got to understand this. Nothing in the Bible is there by coincidence or there. Every word of God, the Bible says, is, is perfect. It's there uh, to instruct us, to teach us. Everything the Bible says is there for a reason. And the Bible tells us that Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So when Paul decided, you know what, Barnabas, I don't want to go with you anymore. I'm going to take Silas with me. We're going on this trip. And the Bible tells us, very clearly tells us, that the brethren, the church of Antioch, recommended them uh, unto the grace of God. So they sent them off with their approval. They sent them off saying, you know, we recommend these guys for the ministry they're going. Now notice, it doesn't say that about Barnabas and Mark. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that the church didn't recommend them. I'm saying this though. God purposely did not tell us that He recommended them. But He told us Paul and, Bar- Paul and Silas were recommended. So I believe that right there is proof that Paul was not necessarily doing a bad thing. Now, the other proof is this. The rest of the book of Acts goes on to tell us about the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I mean, as we continue through Acts 16 and 17, we're going to go into Paul's second missionary journey with Silas. And we'll talk about his third missionary journey. And we'll talk about uh, when he was incarcerated and when he goes to Rome. The rest of the book of Acts is about the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So God, and God obviously used the Apostle Paul in a mighty way. And God, uh, you know, used him in a great way. And guess what? Barnabas, who's been mentioned a lot, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he's been mentioned a lot through the book of Acts, is not mentioned in the book of Acts anymore. 
That's the last we hear of Barnabas as far as the book of Acts is concerned, and as far as his ministry uh, is concerned, uh, specifically about him. So, I do believe that Paul uh, was not in sin here, was not doing the wrong thing, because, see, Paul was interested, uh, Paul was a busy, busy guy. He was uh, the leader, you know, there uh, of the church, uh, of the churches and the missionary. He was an apostle, and he was doing a great work. And see, he, he didn't really have something against uh, Mark himself, if you look at the last part of verse 38, he says, here's what his issue was with John Mark. He says, and went not with them to the work. See, Paul was interested in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I've got work to do and I can't let a quitter slow me down. I can't let John Mark slow me down. He said, we need to go visit these people. We need to go disciple these people. We need to go teach these people. We're going to start other churches. We're going to start other ministries. We're going to get more people saved. we got more battles to fight. He said, and we just got to get in there. I don't want to be slowed down. I'm going to get to the work. Now look, Paul was a very disciplined man, a very principled man. He said, I don't want a bunch of quitters with me. I want to get in the ministry. I'm going to do this right. I don't believe he was wrong. And I think you'd have a hard time proving that he did anything wrong from the Bible. The Bible never rebukes him. However, I also don't believe that Barnabas did anything wrong. I believe Barnabas was in the right. You know, and and let me show you a few interesting things. I think there's a very interesting story. Go with me to Colossians. Chapter number 4, you're there in Acts. So you've got the book of Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter number 4. And look at verse number 36. Colossians chapter number 4. I'm sorry, look at verse number 10. Colossians chapter number 4, look at verse number 10. Now keep in mind, Colossians was penned down by the Apostle Paul. We know that... God wrote the book of Colossians, but he used the Apostle Paul to write it. And in verse 10, the Bible says this, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. This is Paul speaking. And he says, and Marcus, okay, that's a different spelling for, he's referring to John Mark, okay, he's calling him Marcus, but he's talking about John Mark. He says, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. Now, you know, understand this. He's saying Marcus, and then he's telling us what the relationship is that Marcus... He said, how you... You know, sometimes you'll, you'll say, you know... Uh, I don't know. You'll say, oh, so-and-so, you know, he's related... You know, he's the brother of... You know, and you use someone who they would know, recognize. And so he's saying Marcus, and he's saying he's Barnabas's sister's son. That's what he's saying, okay? So Mark... Here's, it's very interesting. John Mark was nephew to Barnabas. Barnabas was his uncle. Barnabas' sister was Mary from Jerusalem, and his, you know, his, Mary's son was John Mark. So, oftentimes people will attack Barnabas, and they'll say, Barnabas was wrong. The only reason he wanted to take that quitter with him was because it was his nephew, and he was just looking out for his nephew, and maybe his sister was in his ear and saying, you know, hey, you know, can you give him another chance? Can you take him with him? With you? He's just got to grow up a little bit, blah, blah. And they'll say, Barnabas was wrong. He should have just stuck with Paul, and, you know, this and that. Now, look, it's very interesting that Barnabas was related to uh, John Mark, but let me prove to you why I don't believe... 
that that was the reason that Barnabas was doing it. Uh, I don't believe that he was just doing it because he was looking out for his uh, for his nephew there. And let me show you why. Go with me to Acts chapter number four. Look at verse thirty-six. Acts chapter number four and look at verse number thirty-six. Acts chapter number four and look at verse number thirty-six. In Acts. 436, we meet Barnabas for the very first time. And if you remember, if you were back with us back in Acts chapter 4 and stuff, you remember the first time we meet Barnabas, he's giving a, a huge gift to the church. And you see there in verse 36, the Bible says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. So you see, his real name was Joseph. The apostles, the Bible tells us, they surnamed him, or they renamed him Barnabas. And for the rest of the scriptures, he's known as Barnabas. But they gave him the name Barnabas. Now look, it's very interesting. The Bible says, and Joseph, who's by the apostles, was surnamed Barnabas. And notice what it says in parentheses. Which is being interpreted, the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. So, the Bible tells us that this man, Joseph, was surnamed Barnabas by the apostles, and the apostles gave him that name, and that name Barnabas, what it meant was this, the son of consolation. Now you say, what, what does the word consolation mean? Well, consolation means to, uh, you know, it, it means to console someone. Consolation, to console someone. It means to alleviate or lessen grief. To alleviate sorrow or disappointment. It means to comfort someone. Okay, so Joseph had this reputation about him where he was someone who would comfort people. He was someone who would console people. He was someone who would, you know, alleviate someone's grief and sorrow and disappointment. When maybe somebody was in a, in a mood of depression, when they were disappointed with themselves or their lives, when they were rejected, you know, he would come alongside them and he would console them and he would comfort them. And this, you know, way about... Joseph was so apparent to the brethren that they actually renamed him and said, Hey, you know what? We're going to call you the son of consolation. We're going to call you Barnabas because that's what that means because they saw this characteristic in him. So we can see here that Barnabas was a very spiritual man and a, a, a very uh, in touch and in tune with the Holy Spirit. And he would come up to people and he would comfort them and he would help them. Now the reason I don't believe that Barnabas was just selfishly looking out for his nephew, you know, the reputation of their family. He didn't want his family to just look like there was a quitter or somebody. You know, it's because Barnabas had this reputation well before John Mark was ever even mentioned. And not only that, but if you remember, Barnabas did the exact same thing. It's very interesting. The exact same thing he's attempting to do with John Mark, he did with Paul. Look at Acts chapter number 9, look at verse 26. Acts chapter number 9, look at verse number 26. Acts 9, 26. Do you remember when Saul got converted? Do you remember that Paul, before his name was changed to Saul, was a Pharisee of the Pharisees? The Bible tells us that he, that he actually, you know, I told you to go to, to Acts chapter 9, but, uh, well, yeah, look at, look at verse 1. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Actually, the Bible says, well, you know, I, I want to look at that, but, but go back to, uh, to Acts 8. Look at Acts 8, verse 1. 
Acts 8 verse 1. You remember the very first martyr in the New Testament was Stephen? And as he was martyred, as he was killed, that set off a, uh, a persecution through the whole church of Jerusalem. And the Bible says in Acts 8 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And except the, uh, and except the apostles. So the Bible tells us there... That, that when they killed Stephen, Saul was consenting uh, unto his death. Uh, let me see if I can find here another, the other, another verse I wanted to show you. It wasn't in my notes. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Look at verse 58 of Acts chapter 7. Verse 58 talking about when they're going to stone Stephen. The Bible says, And cast him out of the city, talking about Stephen, and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Do you see that? So Saul was there when Stephen, the first martyr, and we, we preached a whole sermon on Stephen, this great preacher of the Word of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, one of the first, uh, one of the first seven uh, deacons of the church there in Jerusalem. And uh, when this man was going to be stoned, to death. The Bible says that there was a young man sitting there, Saul, and, they, and he was holding the coats for these people as they killed him. And verse 8, 1, the Bible says that Saul, Saul was consenting unto his death. If you look at Acts 9, verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So you see there, Saul actually takes the lead as the lead persecutor of the church in Jerusalem. And not only the church in Jerusalem, he actually asked for permission to go to Damascus and he wants to bring these Christians and have them put to death. And he's, and he's persecuting the church. And we know, you know, we preached through it. On Damascus Road, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him. Saul did not get saved on Damascus Road. I don't care what any preacher said, what anybody has taught you. I proved it from the Bible. Uh, you know, listen to the, to, to the Bible study from that chapter if you're interested. He, but we proved it from the Bible. He did not get saved on Damascus Road. He got saved three days later back in Damascus when a soul winner showed up and got him saved. And that's what the Bible says. And we proved that. But I'm not going to go into that. But when Saul got saved... The Bible says he got straight into the ministry, went straight to church, started getting... But obviously, you know, I, I mean, could you imagine if, if there was just some famous person who's persecuting us, killing us, you know, today, 2011, Sacramento, there's Saul, is persecuting Christians, and we're in here having church service, you know, and then someone knocks on the door, we open up the door, and it's Saul. You know, we're going to be a little apprehensive, right? I mean, we're like, we're not, you're not coming in here, you know? And you've been killing our Christ, you know, Christians. You're not coming to church. And that's exactly what happened. Saul got saved, and people were just like, uh, no. You know, we don't want you here. Look at Acts 9, verse 26. Acts 9, verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They're like, uh, no, you're not coming in here. Uh, you're just trying, you know, maybe you're playing undercover cop or something. But, we, no, you've been killing people. You've been persecuting people. You were there when Stephen got killed. You've been imprisoning people. I, I don't believe that you got saved. No. Look at verse 27, though. Look at what the Son of Consolation does. But Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles. 
and declare unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus, and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Do you see how Barnabas just has this spirit about him? When, when Saul was rejected by the other Christians, when he was not accepted by the other Christians, when they did not even want to let him in church by the other Christians, the son of consolation, this comforter, this consoler, this person that, that tries to you know, help you with your grief and with your, with your sorrow, he comes up beside Saul and he says, you know what, Saul? They don't want to give you a chance. They don't want to give you, you know, an opportunity. But I'm going to take you with me because they know who I am and I'm going to force them. I'm going to tell them, hey, you know, he's a real thing. He really got saved. And Barnabas put his reputation and his, you know, neck on the line to give Saul a chance. And now we find in Acts 15, Barnabas doing the same thing for John Mark. You see that? Isn't that interesting? So I don't believe that Barnabas was just, you know, trying, you know, oh, he's my nephew, he's my little nephew, i got to take care of him. I believe this is what he felt was right to do. He was looking out and he was saying, look, we ought to give this young man another chance. And verse 39, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of our God. Now you say, well, you know, Barnabas is not mentioned anymore in the book of Acts. We don't know much about his ministry. But the thing is, we do know some about his ministry. Because I'd like you to go with me to 2 Timothy, chapter number 4. And if you know a little bit about the timeline of the scriptures, you know that 2 Timothy was written towards the end of the Apostle Paul's life. In 2 Timothy, Paul actually gives his farewell address. He talks about, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to, unto all them also that love is appearing. You know, he, he talks about how, how he preached the word. He talks about how he's uh, ready to be offered in the time of his, department is at, uh, of his departure is at hand. And if you look there in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, look at verse number 11. Very interesting thing that the Apostle Paul requests. He says, only Luke is with me. Notice what he says. Take Mark. And bring him with thee. Notice what Paul said. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. You see that? Now look, we were just in Acts 15. And Paul who said, I don't want that quitter going with me. He didn't go to the work. He left us when we needed help. He didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to be a man. He wanted to go back to his mama's house. I don't want him coming with me. And now, many years later, the same Apostle Paul, he says, hey, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. You know why we, you know, we, we don't hear about, and obviously Barnabas is mentioned later through the, you know, throughout the scriptures and stuff, but we don't read about Barnabas and Mark's ministries and, and, and journeys and, and uh, you know, what they did and all this. But we do know this about John Mark, is that he was sex, successfully restored Amen. to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, why was that? Well, it wasn't because of Paul. 
Now Paul was able to identify that and he said he's profitable unto me for the ministry. But it was because a, uh, uh, his uncle, a preacher, an apostle, a disciple of the Word of God, uh, of, of Jesus Christ, said, you know what? I'm going to take my chance and give this quitter a chance. And many years later, Paul was able to identify that and he said, hey, you know that Mark? Bring him with thee. For he's profitable to me for the ministry. John Mark was greatly used of God. Have, have any of you ever heard of this book, The Gospel According to Mark? That was written by John Mark. You know, he wasn't one of the original 12 apostles. The, the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospel of Mark was penned down by John Mark. You think we would have ever had that Gospel? If he wouldn't have got a chance to you know, get back in the ministry to restore himself. Go with me to Proverbs, chapter number 24. I'm going to show you one verse, we'll be done. I told you we weren't going to be too long tonight. Proverbs, chapter number 24. If you can find the book of Psalms, right after the book of Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. Chapter number 24. Actually, you know what? Let, you know, if you're there in Proverbs 24, keep your finger there. But let me show you one more thing. I do have one more thing I'd like to show you out of this passage. Go, go to Acts 15. We said, number one, we saw Paul and Barnabas' plan. Number two, we saw Paul and Barnabas' problem. Number three, we saw Paul and Barnabas' purpose. Now, we first ask the question, you know, who was right? Who was wrong? And, you know, I, I believe that they're both right. And I think you'd have trouble disproving that. Paul was right. He went on the ministry. He took a strong stand. He did the right thing. And he did many great things for God. But Barnabas is very clear by the fact that we have the gospel according to Mark and by the statements that Paul made. Barnabas was successful in taking this quitter and helping him to be reconciled and helping him to be restored for the ministry. But not, not only were they both right, I'd also like to answer this question. I do believe they were both wrong. So what are you talking about? Well, look, look at what it says in, in verse Acts 15. Look at verse number 39 again. Answer me this. Does this sound like a very Christian testimony? And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. Does that sound like something Christians should do? Now, I, I do want to explain this because... Last week, we were in the first part of Acts 15. And I'd like you to, to see, you know, look at Acts 15, look at verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain of the others should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Do you remember last week we were talking about how we as Christians need to fight. Remember we read there in Jude, earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered, once delivered unto us. Remember what we were talking about, how when, when, the, when the unbelieving false brethren, when they, 
you know, Bible says they crept in unawares, and they come in, and we got to be willing to stand up for Bible doctrine, and we got to be willing to stand up for righteousness, and when people are trying to teach us something that is biblically wrong, when they're trying to add works to salvation, like they were doing here, when they're trying to, you know, attack the deity of Jesus Christ, when they're trying to attack, uh, attack you know, the Trinity, or attack, you know, doctrines from Scripture, hey, you know, we, we don't just go along to get along. We don't just, well, you know, uh, you know, I know, I know the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is God. They just believe he was just a, a, a normal man, you know, he's just a nice guy. But, um, you know, we're just going to lay those differences aside and we're just going to get along with them and, and we're just, no. You know, we, we saw there in James, the wisdom of, from above is first pure, then peaceable. It's got to be pure, it's got to be holy, it's got to be right. Our doctrine's got to be right. If we can get along after the doctrine's right, we'll get along. Peace can come second, but first we must have purity. We should not, you know, these Christians today, and it just upsets me so much, these Christians say, well, let's just put aside doctrine, let's just not talk about the stuff we don't agree, and let's just try to get along. No! The Bible doesn't teach that. These men, you know, they're Acts 15, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the matter of Moses, ye cannot be saved. They came in preaching a false doctrine, and in verse 2, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation. Paul and Barnabas had, the Bible tells us, I love how it says this, no small dissension. No small disputation. You know what they're saying? They had a big dissension. They had a big disputation. They didn't have a small argument. They had a big argument. They said, wait a minute. You can't add works to salvation. That's wrong. And they fought against that. And look, we're not, you know, I know we preached that last week. We're not going to go hold hands and have some ecumenical movement with the Mormons who don't believe that Jesus is God, with the Muslims who don't believe that Jesus is God, with any religion who doesn't believe that Jesus is God, or any religion that attacks this Bible or attacks the doctrines that we believe. Because the wisdom from above, the Bible says in 1 James, first pure, then peaceable. That's what the Bible says. And if God says, I want it to be first pure, then peaceable, then that's the order it's got to come in. If He would have said peaceable, then pure, then I would have said, okay, let's get along. And let's not worry about holiness. But that's not what he said. He said the wisdom that is from above, the doctrine and the teachings of the Bible, we got to make sure they're right. We get along with people who get along with this book. And if they don't get along with this book, then we're not interested in having peace. I'm not talking about going to war or anything, but we're not going to have fellowship with them. We're not going to go out of our way. So we ought to fight for doctrine. But let me ask you a question. Were Paul and Barnabas fighting for doctrine? No, they were not. They were, they were arguing over something that I believe they both were right. And they were arguing over something that I... Because they were arguing the way they were. I mean, could you imagine how upset you would have to be with a fellow Christian in church where the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other? I mean, that's not sound like a bad argument. They were just mad. And just... You know, wanted nothing to do with each other. And look, yes, we ought to fight over doctrine, but that's it. When it comes to your brother in Christ and things that aren't the Word of God, you know, things that aren't like Bible doctrine, like someone's attacking, uh, you know, uh, something we believe, hey, look, we ought to try to get along. And I believe that if Barnabas or Paul would have, you know, maybe just got out of the flesh a little bit and just spoke right, you know, to them and, and, and had a good attitude, Barnabas might have been able to explain, hey Paul, do you remember when they were rejecting you and I came along? 
and gave you a chance, I'm trying to do the same thing for Mark. You know, and if Paul would have explained, you know, well, here's my issue. I don't want to be in the middle of a fight and not have my brother there, you know, having my back because he's running back home. You know, they could have talked those things out and talked to Mark and made sure, you know, this could have been a much nicer story, a much more successful story. Uh, go, go to Colossians chapter number uh, 4. Colossians 4. Let me show you one verse and then we'll go to Proverbs where we're done. Colossians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter number 4. <clears throat> Look at verse 6. Colossians 4, 6. Look at what the Bible says. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. You see that? Let your speech be always with grace. Seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. You know that every time you open your mouth to talk to somebody, you ought to be very cautious of what, not only what you're saying, but how you're saying it. You know, you ought not have this reputation that, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, so-and-so, they're always so rude. They're always so mean. They're always, and look, I've, I've watched people say the right thing to the right person. The wrong way. And I think to myself, you're saying exactly what needs to be said, but your attitude is making that person not listen to you at all. You know, and when we're talking to each other, and we're conversating with each other, the Bible says, let your speech be always with grace. And by the way, let me just say this. Just because it popped in your head doesn't mean it has to come out of your mouth. Just because you thought it doesn't mean you have to say it. You know, we got to be very careful to stay within our, you know, uh, sphere of authority. And let me, let me just give you this advice. And we don't have this problem, but I'm just going to, you know, we should fight things before they become a problem. If, you know, this is just some good advice for life. If you don't have power over that situation, and they haven't asked for your opinion, just shut your mouth. Okay? It's not your place. You know, I don't go around telling people how to raise... You know, obviously behind the pulpit, as I'm preaching the Word of God, we're preaching the Bible. But other than that, I don't ever tell people, Hey, uh, you need to do this with your kids. You need to get this with your wife. You need, I don't tell people how to live their life. Now look, if they ask me, Hey, pastor, you know, I was wondering about this situation. What do you think? Then, I answer them, but guess what? Since I'm not preaching behind the pulpit, you know, when I'm preaching behind the pulpit, I say whatever I want. I mean, what the Holy Spirit leads me to say, how He leads me to say, because sometimes you need to be rebuked from the pulpit. But in person, I always try to let my speech be with grace. Seasoned with salt. And we ought to learn that as Christians. You know, you'll do more to harm your spiritual life and to harm the lives of other Christians if you just let your mouth run, you know. And, and it's not necessarily maybe what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. You know, we ought, to, we ought to make sure that we're always being very cautious, you know, because you don't know what people are going through. You say, well, I always act like that with that person. Well, you know, every week out of the year, they might be able to take it. But maybe this week, they were attacked by the devil. Maybe this week, they had a big trial. Maybe this week, they fell into a deep temptation. Maybe this week, they had a, you know, a huge problem in their life, and your words are what's going to push them over the brink. You know, take them out of, out of the game. Take them out of the battle. And we don't want to do that. You know, and I believe that Paul and Barnabas, if one of them, at that moment, you know, in, that, in the heat of the moment when they're having this argument and fighting, if one of them would have thought to themselves, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. You know, and, and we ought to have that, you know, so, so who was right? They were both right. Who was wrong? They were both wrong. 
for arguing that way, fighting that way, two leaders in the church? I mean, could you imagine just having two leaders in the church just arguing and fighting and to the point where it's like, I don't, I don't even want to see that person. They just go their separate ways. That's not a good testimony. But um, I, you know, and I, and let me say this. I thank God for Paul. And my wife and I, we've talked about this. We, we talk, you know, we, we'll, we'll watch different leadership styles and different preachers and stuff. And, and we'll, we'll talk about, you know, Man, so-and-so, has a great, he's a great preacher. He takes a great stand, you know. He's doctrinally right, and this and that. You know, praise the Lord for him, and he's hard, and he preaches. And then we'll talk about, you know, and so-and-so, man, he's taking the same stand, but, you know, he's also showing mercy and, and love, you know. And, and in my ministry, you know, we're trying to, hey, we're trying to balance those scales. And I'm trying to get up and just preach the Bible, whether it's in season, out of season, whether it's popular, whether it's not, whether it goes against the grain, you know, we're just going to preach the Word of God. You say, you know, or, and sometimes people say, oh, your, your, your sermons are so negative, you're so mean, you're so loud, whatever. You say, you know, but we're trying to counterbalance that by just being as kind and loving and, and generous with people. Because look, you need to balance both extremes. You need the Paul and Barnabas. And when they were a team, they were unstoppable. And it's a sad thing that they went their separate ways. They were both wrong. But I'm sure, you know, I sure thank God, going into Proverbs chapter 24, I sure thank God for Paul. Where would we be without Paul? But I'm sure Barnabas, I'm sure Mark, thanks God for Barnabas. Because where would he be without Barnabas? And you know, the, the story of John Mark is such a beautiful story. Because Proverbs 24.16 says this. Proverbs 24.16 says, For a just man... Falleth seven times and riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. Do you see that? For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. You know the fact that Paul penned these words? Very Mark, he's profitable unto me for the mystery. You know the fact that you can open up the book of Mark and read the Bible account of Jesus Christ? Shows me this. God was not done with John Mark. Paul was. But God wasn't. You say, well, John Mark quit in the middle of a fight when they needed him the most. When Paul needed support, when Paul needed help, when Paul needed a friend. When, I mean, you got to understand Paul. When Paul needed somebody to be there with him, instead of having someone to encourage him, pat him on the back, and say, hey, we can do this. You know, Paul, let's keep going. Instead, the guys that came with him, one of them's going home. But you know what? The righteous man, a just man, falls seven times and rises up again. You say, Pastor Jimenez, you know, I, I don't know that I can do this. I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to do right, and I just fall. I just quit. You ever quit on God? You ever messed up? You ever had people look at you and say, there's no good? Well, look, God wasn't done with John Mark. Paul was. God wasn't. And it's, it's a beautiful thing that Paul was able to recognize that later on and say, you know what? Bring Mark. He's profitable. And let, let that be an encouragement to you. Because, you know, we're going to have our ups and downs. We're going to have our battles and our fights. We're gonna, you know, it, that's just the Christian life. You're going to fail at something. You're going to mess up. You're going to say, oh, I can't, believe I, didn't, I can't believe I didn't do that. I can't believe I said that. I, can't, I shouldn't have said that. I should know better than that. Hey, the, the only time you lose is when you fall and you don't get back up. But God says, you fall seven times, just keep getting up. Just keep getting up. Just keep getting up. But when you fall and you don't get up, that's the only way you can lose. Mark, when you quit and you don't get back in the game, that's the only way you lose. But if you quit, 
And you say, you know what? I don't care what Paul thinks. If Barnabas wants to give me a chance, I'm going to go back. Hey, God used him in a great way. How many Christians do you know that were allowed of God by the Holy Spirit to pen down on an entire book of the Bible? John Mark was. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer again with Father. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for the Bible. And Lord, thank you for a Bible study that we can do just a few verses in the end of a chapter there, but just so much truth that we can look, so much truth that we can gain from your scriptures, Lord. I pray that you please bless us and help us, and thank you for allowing us to get together on a Wednesday night and read the Bible and study scriptures together. We love you, Lord. In your precious name, I pray.